0: This show is sponsored by IdealWorkspace.com, which promotes a healthier way of working through their adjustable standing desk. Check out their latest smart adjustable standing desk at altizen.com, altizen.com, Welcome to Analyze Asia, the podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology and media in Asia. In this episode, I speak to Zenon Kapron from China Fintech and Capron Asia on the state of fintech in China we discuss how the different verticals within the fintech sector and the Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent X's led in each one of them and how local and foreign companies need to navigate the regulation within the industry. Hi, Zenon. Hi, Bernard. How are you doing?
1: Good, good. Enjoying being back here in Singapore.
0: Yes, you have just recently came to Singapore for a fintech conference, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it seems more and more that fintech is becoming much bigger here in Singapore. So I find myself down here nearly once a month now, it seems. So I was here a couple of weeks ago for the Singapore Fintech Festival. And now this week, some client meetings and, and events down here as well. So it's become quite the hub.
0: Yes. And I'm talking to the founder and director of Capron Asia and China Fintech. You have a very interesting background and you have actually been very involved with fintech in China. So the reason why I got you here is basically to learn more about that subject matter itself. But I want to get to know you better. How do you get started in your career?
1: Sure. I studied computer science undergrad. And when I graduated, I knew I didn't want to be a programmer. And so there was a really good opportunity with Citibank that came up. That was kind of managing technology within the bank. So I joined Citibank in New York and then was with them for about four years in Europe. And when I left, I was the CIO for Citigroup in Portugal. So basically looking after all the technology. I went back to my MBA and then wanted to be more on the business side. So I joined Intel in Shanghai, China, and that was in 2004. I stayed there for a couple of years and then shortly afterwards set up Capron Asia. And so at Capron Asia, we provide market research and consulting services for the financial industry. So our clients are financial institutions or financial technology companies that are interested in what's happening in Asia within the financial industry.
0: I wanted to just ask your MBA is from INSEAD Business School, right? Yes, that's correct. So from your various roles with Citigroup, Intel, and even to your current role in Capron Asia. What are interesting career lessons you can share with my audience?
1: Yeah, I think one of the, I mean, making the transition from a corporate world to a kind of an independent entrepreneurial environment is quite a change. And, and I did that, I guess, before this current wave of entrepreneurship has, has really taken shape. But I think the every company I found has different strengths and weaknesses. And I think, you know, as an example, Intel was very good at process. And so I think the learning experiences from a company like Intel were great for really when I set up Capron Asia to understand a little bit more, you know, how you should you do recruiting? How do you get feedback? How do you how do you run the company as a whole? And so I've been very lucky in, in my career choices that, you know, I've had a wide variety of experiences that have really helped prepare me for this entrepreneurship, because I think that. You know, without doing it, there's nothing that really prepares you for doing it. But certainly you can do the best you can in terms of, you know, educating yourself and learning.
0: So what inspired your interest into fintech in China then?
1: Yeah, well, it's it's interesting. I mean, my entire career has been somewhat around fintech before fintech was really, you know, became a sexy industry term. Effectively, when I started with Citibank in 1998, what we were doing was fintech. It just wasn't sexy and it wasn't really changing the business. You know, technology in those days was an enabler of business, but it wasn't driving the business. And so I think that's just been a natural evolution of the industry. And, and so my career has kind of followed that as well. And of course, with China being by any measure a, a huge market, it's inevitable that, you know, as our role as a market research and consulting company that we you know need to look at that a little bit more. So it was really quite lucky being in the right place at the right time to be following what's happening in China and the fintech
0: industry there. Can you talk about your role and coverage in Capron Asia and China fintech?
1: Yeah. So within Capron Asia, I mean, as I mentioned before, our clients are within the industry and looking at various different topics in the industry, whether that be payments, banking, capital markets. On the China FinTech side, a couple of years ago, as kind of a whim, I registered ChinaFinTech.com. And then I guess about a year and a half ago, somebody approached me, one of my business partners approached me about being a little bit more formal about the company and, and actually, you know, getting a trademark and setting up a business around that. And so that's, that's kind of been the focus of China FinTech for the past year. And really what that organization is trying to do is helping bridge FinTech internationally and China, because I think there's a lot of opportunities in China outbound and a lot of opportunities outside of China inbound. So we're trying to bridge
0: that gap and really connect the FinTech communities. And you're based in Shanghai, right? If I'm not wrong? Yeah, that's correct. I've been there for about 12 years now. The subject matter today is actually about FinTech in China. And to me, I think FinTech in China is pretty advanced because when I was visiting Hangzhou to Alibaba headquarters, from anywhere I go, I literally could have used a mobile wallet called Alipay. And even with small, medium businesses there, they actually accept that I actually hardly use cash. I want to get a sense of what it's really like in China. So, can you describe what FinTech is and what's the context of FinTech with respect to China?
1: Yeah, I mean the easiest example to kind of illustrate what's happening is my own personal example. I mean, you can probably tell from my name, I'm not local Chinese, So I've definitely taken advantage of some of the fintech opportunities that are there. I've gone weeks in Shanghai without using cash, just ordering food online or paying for my purchases using Alipay or WeChat Pay at the point of sale. I invest in products that were offered by Baidu, uh, you know, using online wealth management platforms. It's really incredible. I mean, the 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 scope of what's happening there. Of course, you know, for. Some Somebody outside of the country may look at the top line numbers, and so you look at the valuations of companies like JD.com or Ant Financial or uh, DN Wrong. Any of these guys that are coming up and, and kind of these fintech unicorns, and that's one side of the equation. But the other side is the very on, on the ground approach. And as you mentioned, I mean, we were in Hangzhou a couple of weeks ago, and. One of the interesting products that Ant Financial has right now is Sesame Credit. And so they take scores from a variety of different data sources to create a credit score, which is something that's typically been lacking in China. And if your credit score is good enough, you can borrow an umbrella from the Hangzhou train station. So it's really amazing how some of these technologies have really engaged on a very local level and the adoption is just incredible.
0: Can I follow up with this question? So for example, in some parts of the world, fintech is actually involved more with financial inclusion. So with the development and the progress in China, is it more focused towards digital payments or trying to surpass the disruption of what the banks are actually doing in traditional?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at fintech globally, I mean, my impression for many of the fintech markets is that it's disruption. So we're creating wealth robo-advisors in the U.S. like Wealthfront and Betterment that are designed to replace your broker. And We have digital payment startups that are trying to replace Visa and MasterCard at the point of sale. You have a lot of disruption. And what has happened here in China is more of a filling the gaps and then getting to disruption. So if you look at Alipay, I mean, Alipay arguably was the first fintech platform in China. And the reason that Alipay started was to solve the escrow problem in e-commerce because One of the challenges for Taobao and Tmall and the Alibaba platform when they launched is that there was this inherent trust that was lacking. So there would be problems with fraud. Sometimes the e-commerce deliveries wouldn't get to the recipient. Sometimes the recipient wouldn't pay for the deliveries. So there was a challenge of this. There was was very much a cash on delivery society there in China. So Alibaba created the Alipay platform to fill that gap in the market. And now if you look at what it's doing, it is completely disrupting the market. We did a study and we looked at in, in 2015. We calculated that the digital payment providers took 20 billion dollars in fees out of the market so basically 20 billion dollars that should have gone across the china union pay network and should have gone to the banks the issuing the acquiring and the china union pays went to these digital payment Providers instead. That really is kind of the storyline of a lot of these models in China. It's not about disruption at the beginning. It's about filling a small gap in the market and then expanding from there. And I think that's one of the big differences that, that sometimes we miss when we look at China versus other fintech markets.
0: So what is the environment like in China for FinTech? I mean, given the existence of Baidu, Alibaba, and Tencent, which we call the BAT, which have actually disrupted the digital payments and products with WeChat, with Alipay, with even the way how Baidu as a search engine being able to call cabs, et cetera. How is that environment like? It's interesting. I mean, being
1: here in Singapore a couple of weeks ago at the Singapore FinTech Festival, I mean, obviously the uh, MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, the main regulator here, has really gotten involved in FinTech. And it's great. And it's, it's great for the market here. And they've created you know, a regulatory sandbox where some of these FinTechs can set up their business models and try it. China is the world's tech sandbox. I mean, you've had an incredibly, despite, you know, having fixed interest rates and strict controls on what banks can and cannot do, the regulators have largely allowed these tech startups, uh, well, now they, these tech giants, the BAT, to really move in and disrupt the market. So if you look at something like digital payments, I mean, the first payments licenses were issued around 2010, 2011. And we didn't see any substantive changes to those regulations until this year. And why is that? Well, in a lot of cases, these business models are really promoting what you mentioned before, financial inclusion. I mean, as an example, we were, when we were in Hangzhou, we were talking to Ant Financial, and they have dispersed something like 800 billion renminbi worth of loans to microcredit loans. So basically loans that were under 30,000 renminbi. And that's a huge amount that's going towards financial inclusion. These tech platforms are really, they're the first platforms that are able to solve some of the key challenges that China has had in their financial market. And so I think that has really opened up the door for these tech companies to essentially back into the financial industry and and really disrupt, as you mentioned, disrupt the space.
0: So if I were to flip the question around what happened to the traditional banks and the traditional clearinghouses or the traditional payment networks like China Union Pay, how do they stand in this fintech space then?
1: Yeah. I mean, 10 years ago for the large banks in China, it was easy sailing. When you have fixed interest rates, you know exactly what your yield on any product is going to be. You're lending out at a certain percentage. You're taking paying deposits at a certain percentage, which made not only built up the balance sheets of these few large banks in China, but also made them some of the most profitable in the world. And so I think largely, you know, they've been riding on that wave for a long time, that, you know, relatively controlled industry where there's tight relationships between the largely still state-owned banks with the large state-owned enterprises in China. And for a long time, as the economy has grown in double digits and high single digits, that's been enough. You know, that's been enough for these banks to really to really, you know, control the market and still be quite profitable. And so that's left them a bit complacent. So it's it's really one of the big questions is how these guys are going to respond to what's happening in the space. I mean, we were talking to a bank a couple of weeks ago and they said they've already given up on digital payments. They've already given up on the payment space. Now they want to look at all of the other products that they have and how they can prevent the encroachment of these technology companies in that space. So it's they really have the work cut out for them, the, the large banks in China certainly in that case. And that only a few are really making steps around innovation and fintech so you know how that develops over the next couple of years will be critical for the future of the kind of the traditional finance industry certainly in china
0: what about the western banks entering china what are the kind of strategies for these western banks to go digital into the chinese market and i mean how did their strategy different from their chinese counterparts then
1: it's an interesting question. I think the, the strategies, obviously, of the Western banks and in other markets is, you know, partnership and getting involved in fintech. So if you look at a DBS here in Singapore, you know, everything that they've done around fintech, having a chief innovation officer. That, that focus has been very beneficial for the banks, certainly in Singapore and Southeast Asia. I think although a lot of these companies come into China with a digital mindset and digital model, the game in China is completely different. And When you have a platform like WeChat, where there is, according to the latest numbers, 800 and about 20 million people that use WeChat or have a real name account on WeChat, and a lot of them are conducting their finances through the platform. I mean, why do you need to go to your bank? It's it interesting. I mean, so, the, so some of the technology companies have licenses to set up banks. And Financial has set up my bank. And Tencent has set up WeBank. I was talking to one of my staff a couple of weeks ago, and I said, well, why don't you use one of these platforms? And they said, well, why do we need it? You know, We have Alipay. We can pay our rent. We can pay our utilities. We receive some of our salary through that. Why do we need any of these other things? So I I think Western banks don't have as much at stake in China as their Chinese counterparts, but I think they still face the same challenges. It's It's a market that's heavily dominated by these BAT and the tech companies that are really eating the lunch of the traditional financial institutions.
0: Can you talk about the different sectors and innovations for fintech in China? I mean, I'm talking about different verticals. I mean, what are the most exciting startups or the BAT products in that space? So I'm going to start off with digital payments. I mean, when I think of digital payments, I think of something like a PayPal, a Stripe or a Braintree. What are the equivalent of that in China that I think we are really about Alipay and WeChat Pay as well? Yeah, those are the key players.
1: And, and it's amazing how much they've changed the market. In any sizable chain, like a seven eleven type convenience store chain in Shanghai, in many restaurants, you can pay using Alipay, you can pay using WeChat Pay. It's an incredibly light payment solution based off QR codes. They've really changed the market. I mean, certainly in digital payments, those are the two key players in that space.
0: But what about companies that focus on wealth management? I know in the US you have Betterment, you have something like Wealthfront. Are there any equivalent of that in China?
1: Yeah, so if you look at the transition or, or kind of the evolution of the Alipay, I mean, one of the first things that they saw was that people were leaving money onto their Alipay wallet. So they'd make a transaction, they'd have, you know, 10, 15, 100, 200 renminbi left on their digital wallet. And so a couple of years ago, they set up a platform called UABAL. And around that time, the interbank lending market was quite tight. Liquidity was quite tight in, in markets in China. So they partnered with an asset manager that they now, that, and financial now owns a majority of called Tianhong Asset Management. They set up this UABAL product. That was based off relatively safe interbank lending products, and they were able to pay six or seven percent. What was really interesting about that model is not just that they were paying six or seven percent, which is probably double, in some cases, triple what you would get on a bank deposit, but they provided at a very low entry point. So if you look at wealth management in China before UABL, to invest in a wealth management product, you would need 10,000 renminbi or 20,000 or 50,000 renminbi, much like a wealth management product in other markets. But what you about did is what we effectively called democratizing wealth management. So they made it with as little as one renminbi, you could buy into this fund and you could start earning interest off that money. And so that really changed the market, that transition that Ant Financial did with their Alipay platform into launching UABEL. And that really opened up the digital wealth management products in China. So now you have companies like Lufax and Ping An, and Credidees that have incredible distribution networks online that were all basically built on the back of that democratization that UABEL initially brought to the market.
0: How about Bitcoin and blockchain? I feel a lot about Bitcoin miners in China, but I actually haven't heard about Chinese fintech companies that are really focused into Bitcoin and blockchain space then.
1: Yes, so a couple of years ago, we were quite involved in Bitcoin and I, I wrote a book on Bitcoin in China. And and you know, despite the global industry kind of shifting away from Bitcoin towards blockchain, Bitcoin still remains critical in China. You know, in China, that's where the majority of the miners are, as you mentioned before. And there is a lot of trading, I mean, the the world's largest Bitcoin platforms are are in China as well in the form of OKCoin and BTCC and uh, OB. So you know, there's still an awful lot of interest in Bitcoin in China, but it tends to be with the industry insiders, so it tends to be with the miners or with the traders and not so much the general public. We've seen a lot of pullback on merchants using Bitcoin, so now it's only kind of Garage Cafe in Beijing and a couple other places that are actually accepting Bitcoin payments. Blockchain has made a big change, though. I mean, if you look at the investment that's coming into blockchain, in particular, Wanchang company in Shanghai, who it's primarily known for making auto parts, but has really moved into the blockchain space. And so they've invested in uh, setting up effectively a blockchain city that's going to be, I believe, somewhere outside of Hangzhou. They're refitting a building in Shanghai that's essentially going to be a complete blockchain innovation center, not, not just for the financial industry, but looking at things like healthcare and a lot of other verticals as well. But I think blockchain in China is quite interesting. The, the market in China is, is fairly robust. You know, It doesn't have the same settlement and, and challenges around some of the typical blockchain use cases in other markets. But for things like healthcare records or trade finance, I think there's a lot of opportunity for blockchain in China.
0: I heard the founder of Ethereum is actually spends half his time in China now. So I presume that there's something interesting in, in China that he's really looking into because they deal with a lot with digital smart contracts using blockchain technology as well yeah yeah it's definitely a space to watch i'm interested in the crowdfunding space i mean crowdfunding we think about kickstarter we think about indiegogo i know indiegogo is in china so are there any similar types of startups in the fintech space that resembles this kind of companies
1: yeah there there are quite a few uh, there's nobody really that controls the market in this space i mean some of the volumes on some of these platforms are are massive anyways but i think certainly there is an opportunity for that in china it's a space that we'll see grow quite a bit in the future i think one of the challenges in china for retail investors is the lack of investment options i mean you have the stock market that really is retail driven and is very not very predictable and not in many cases not very sensible in the directions that it goes you're kind of limited on bank deposits so you, a lot of money is flowing into the wealth management products that we talked about before, and then these kind of alternative investments like crowdfunding and peer-to-peer lending.
0: So I'm interested in peer-to-peer lending because I know that the CTO of the most well-known lending club started a company in China, but I know that there are a couple of Chinese equivalents of lending clubs, p to p lending companies in China. Can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. Uh, You know, that trip that we had down to Singapore a couple of weeks ago for the FinTech Festival, we brought down a number as part of China FinTech. We brought down 17 FinTech executives from China, and a couple of those were from the peer-to-peer lending space, and one of them was the largest peer-to-peer lender in Shanghai. And so what that effectively means is that every month he was originating hundreds of millions of renminbi in loans, and the scale of some of these peer-to-peer lending platforms is really incredible. I think that's, that in itself is interesting, but I think the digital distribution that a lot of these platforms have moved into. So if you look at a company like Lufax, I mean, Lufax was originally a peer-to-peer lender, but now a significant amount of their revenue comes from distributing other products. So Ping An has taken an ownership stake in Lufax and they've partnered up. And so there's a lot of Ping An products, both insurance products and banking products that go through the Lufax platform, as well as, you know, more traditional peer-to-peer lending products as well. So, I think the peer-to-peer lending, I think, was a, a, an interesting entry point for some of these companies. But I think really what they're doing from that is quite interesting in how they're expanding and moving into digital distribution as well.
0: I recall a conversation and you talk about stock index with by 500, which is actually done by Baidu to actually analyze using big data and analytics to actually create their own kind of index fund. Can you talk a bit about that as well? Yeah
1: so that's a really interesting product and that was launched i believe in 2013 and and it was sold out within a couple of days and basically what Baidu did is they said look we're going to take anonymized search data off baidu.com we're going to combine that with the CSI 100 which is the, the Shanghai 100 share index uh, similar to a Dow Jones industrial average or a, a Nasdaq index and we're going to create a financial product on the back of that and up until the market really started going haywire in 2014 2015 that product, which was essentially a program trading product, and an active investing product, was beating the market by high single digits. And it's really incredible because it's the first time that I think we've truly seen a large tech player move in with something like that to, to create a financial product. And for the majority of the people that we talked to, so we interviewed 1,000 millennials last year for a report that we were doing on millennials investing behavior. And we, we asked them a question about the BIFO 100 product. And we said, what if they were taking your personal search data? so the original idea behind this index product that baidu launched was it was all anonymized but we said well what if they took your individual search data and they created a financial product for you specifically and 45 percent of the millennials we talked to said that that would be okay and so I think that's really opens up to the market for these kind of, you know, whether it's a robo-advisor product or another financial product that a company like Baidu puts out, there's a lot of openness for these products that may not be the most respectful of personal privacy. I mean, obviously when you're using search data to create a financial product, you're losing a bit of privacy with that. But there seems to be a, an acceptance that if you're doing a good return, these kind of products may have uh, traction so I think that index fund was quite interesting I think what what everybody is doing like companies like credit ease are doing round robo advisor I think that'll be quite interesting for China as well because there's a huge market for that
0: any other areas that which I have missed or categories
1: Yeah, no, I think, you know, the only last thing was just what I just mentioned is the robo-advisor. I mean, if you look at China, because of the lack of investment products, there haven't been that many ETFs in the market as well. And the idea of portfolio management is very new in China. So I think we'll see a lot of, especially on the retail side, a lot of startups and focus within fintech around more active investing in portfolio management as investors get more sophisticated in the market. so I think that'll certainly be an area of growth that we'll see in the future.
0: In our conversation, as we are going along, we talk a lot about the BAT and they seem to be owning most of the digital payments ecosystems. And I think in a report that you have written that you talk about them as being the business models for fintech startups in China. Why is this so?
1: Yeah, it's just the scale that these companies have gotten to. I mean, Alibaba on its own, even without the digital payment side of the business, is a massive company with the e-commerce platforms of Taobao and Tmall. I mean, Jack Ma has done an incredible job getting that company going, and now – The things that Ant Financial is doing in the financial industry really have the potential of disrupting not just what's happening in China, but increasingly as these companies expand abroad. I think it's really the scale of these platforms that have made them the go-to fintech players. I mean, for a small company to set up payment acceptance around China would be quite challenging, but for a company like Alibaba that has the money and the resources to be able to do that, it's quite an interesting play for them. And so I think we've seen Baidu has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit, but I think, you know, in Financial and Lufax are the two big gorillas in the room in terms of fintech unicorns,
0: and I think that's helped them really dominate the market. We talked a bit just now about traditional banks coping with the onslaught of the BAT and Chinese fintech startups. Do they use other tools to basically try to deter these companies from advancing into their territories, I mean, particularly with regulation?
1: There's not too much regulation that prevents the BAT from expanding. What we've seen is we've seen certain limits that the banks put in place. So as an example, I bank with one of the large five banks in China. I am limited to 10,000 renminbi a day that I can put onto my Alipay platform. And that's not a regulation that the government puts in place. That's a regulation that my bank had put in place. The amount of money that I can pull out of that bank card and put it on the Alipay platform is limited. So I think we've seen them not stop the technology companies, the BAT, but trying to limit how much effect that they're having in the market and how much they're disrupting. But it may be a fool's errand because I think that unless these banks really figure out how to change the experience of what they're putting in play, it's going to be very difficult for them, especially these guys move into more platforms i mean if you look at the wechat platform the alipay platform i can do anything from book a taxi to find my favorite restaurant to pay a friend the money that i own to invest in wealth management products i mean these platforms that these companies are setting up are just so all-encompassing and it makes it very difficult for a bank to compete I mean, icbc does not do taxi booking but for a
0: company like alibaba or tencent to get involved with something like that it's a little bit easier for them to do so what is the operating environment for fintech companies in China? Are there any regulation or legislation that for foreign fintech startups should watch out for when they enter China then?
1: For foreign fintech startups, I don't think regulation is the biggest issue. I mean there are there are regulations in place, but they're relatively straightforward and easy to understand. I, I think the biggest challenge is understanding the Chinese market and coming up with the business models that work here. I, I think most recently we've seen that with Uber. I mean Uber kicked it with a incredibly arrogant business model and, and attitude towards China and just said, look, I'm going to own this market. Now, granted, they've done still quite well by selling part way out to Didi, but at, at the same time, I mean, they kind of failed from their initial goal to dominate the market as Uber, not as Uber China. And so I think even, even the most sophisticated and well-funded startups can struggle coming into China. And that's not unique just for tech in general, but I think certainly within the fintech market, it's really understanding what the consumers are doing and, and finding a model that captures a lot of the market is very challenging for a foreign company coming into the fintech space.
0: So what is the current appetite for venture capital investment in fintech within China? Have you seen any interesting exits or acquisitions?
1: Well, I think the interesting exits will be coming from the and Financials and the the Lufaxes. I mean, those those guys probably in 2017 will list on one of the markets, whether that's Hong Kong or somewhere in the U.S. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, those will be the most critical exits, I think, for fintech globally, to be honest. But there's still a lot of interest in established business models, so kind of series, Series B, Series C investment in China. There's a tremendous number of startups. So I think the riskier end is a little bit more risky in China, so the kind of the angel rounds are much more risky in china but there is still a lot of money out there both smart and stupid money and so that you know there's that makes it very advantageous for a company that has a good business model to be able to get funding i think china is an
0: interesting place to try and do that i want to flip the question around we talk a lot about companies coming into china for fintech but what about the reverse? If these Chinese companies were to go out, what are the implications for digital banking, fintech startups, particularly in the West? I mean, you can foresee at some point and financial will turn out and go to Southeast Asia, going to the U.S. and going to all Europe as well. What would be that perspective? then?
1: Yeah, the impact is going to be huge. I think the wave that we saw of these companies when they were expanding abroad was following the Chinese tourists. So, you know, setting up Alipay and WeChat acceptance in places like Hong Kong or here in Singapore or in Thailand or some of the other kind of emerging markets in Asia was kind of the first wave. We're working with a company called CanCan Can Mobile right now. And one of the things that they do is go around the world and set up WeChat, Alipay and line acceptance in other markets. So they'll go to a large retailer in France and they'll help them set up their, their acceptance. And so, I think that's the first wave is, is catering to tourists that are going abroad. But we're already starting to see the second wave of their expansion internationally. And that's with investments like what Alibaba has done in India into Paytm, Tencent and to pay you. I think there's a lot of really smart investment that these companies are making into some of the emerging markets. And, and if you look at the attitude that even a Jack Ma has, you know, he'd rather collect the prawns than fight the whales. And and so I think when you look at something like India, it's a huge opportunity. And it's a very, up until recently, it was a very, it's the word I'm looking for, a very spread out market. So there was no player that was dominating the market. So rather than go to the US where he has to deal with regulation and challenges around that, a country like India is a lot more interesting because it's, it's much more diverse. There's a lot more opportunity to grow. And so I think you're going to see them look at kind of these, not the low hanging fruit because I mean, India is a huge market, but the easier markets to get into. And then eventually they'll be expanding Into other markets, and the 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 new head of Ant Financial's international division said that he wants to have one million overseas merchants accepting Alipay in the next couple of years, which is which is incredible, and that's a huge amount of merchants that Mm. that are using that platform.
0: So, what do you see are the interesting trends for fintech in China in the next five years, and what will we be seeing in the year two thousand seventeen then?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of change in place. I mean, just over the past week we've seen the government move away from dual-branded credit cards, you know, so Visa and Mastercard were coming into the market here and and it looks like that they might be a little bit stymied by the new regulations around that. We're seeing the the Shenzhen Hong Kong Connect just opened up a couple of weeks ago, so there's a lot of changes that are happening in the kind of the traditional finance industry in China. But I think on the fintech side of things, I think certainly this international expansion that we just talked about is going to be quite interesting to see how that goes. You know, domestically, I think on the wealth management side and the, the robo-advisors that I was talking about before, I think there's still a lot of opportunity around that, still using big data more. When you look at a platform like Sesame Credit from Ant Financial, that, that the, the way that they're using data is really interesting. And so those models will get more mature over the next couple of years. So I think that'll be quite interesting. As well, the regulation, you know, I, although the, the regulators have been fairly permissive and allowing these platforms to really grow, I, that could change at any point. So I think, you know, over the next couple of years, it's going to be critical to look at what happens in the regulatory space, because although they've been fairly positive in supporting this innovation, that could change uh, depending on what happens in the market. And especially as China is slowing down in terms of growth as well. So certainly that'll be a key thing to watch over the next couple of years as well.
0: Thank you, Zenon for coming on the show and also sharing your perspective on the fintech in China. So I'm probably going to get you back at some point to sort of discuss some of the new trends that would happen in next year. But help my audience. How do they find you?
1: Sure. So our website is CapronAsia.com. So we can be reached through that. And on Twitter, I'm uh, China FinTech is our, is our Capron Asia account. And on WeChat, I'm just Zenon. Can be reached on any of those channels.
0: You can find me at blyongcw at Subscribe to us at Analyze Asia, A-N-A-L-Y-S-E Asia. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, A-Cast and TuneIn. And of course, Google Play only in the US market. Of course, drop me a note. If you can, recommend us on Overcast and give us a good iTunes ratings and and most likely give me comments. Once again, Zenon, thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Bernard.